Welcome, everyone. As you are probably familiar, this is the Best of the Left podcast. If you're not familiar, I highly recommend you check out any of the nearly 800 other episodes we've done, as this one's going to be a little bit different. For those of you who are familiar, you're probably also aware that this show is free. All of the episodes that come out are free. Uh, however, we are actually supported by members who pay as little as five bucks a month to support the work we do. So for those members, I do a little bit of extra bonus content, and this is different from the real show or the big show. You know, it's mostly me talking. I throw in a few clips here and there. There's some conversation with uh, you know people calling in on voicemail, and it, it all all in all, it has a totally different vibe, but has sort of been finding its way over the past few months. It's kind of been getting into a little bit of a groove, and you know, so I thought to myself. I like how this is going. This is sounding good, and I bet that if people heard what they were missing, they might be inspired to not only, you know, pony up and support the big show and the work we do there, you know, but also think, hey, this is stuff worth paying for in the bonus content. So I just finished recording the 25th bonus episode and thought to myself, yeah, I think that's pretty good. I should share that with people and see if they might want more of it. So what you're about to hear is the 25th episode of bonus content that I've done. And if you would like more of it, you can sign up to be a member at bestofleft.com, go to the membership area, and then I will uh, provide you with all the details on how to get all the bonus content yourself, which of course includes the past 25 episodes of bonus content and then everything going forward as well. So I hope you enjoy, and I'll be back with a regularly scheduled full big episode tomorrow. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being members and supporting the show. Today, I have... I, I hesitate to call it a story because I don't think it really is. It's more of a, a collection of thoughts that have been kicking around in my head uh, the past few weeks, and, and I've just figured out how to string them together. So it, it might sound like a story, but it's probably not, actually. And uh, so to start, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, as I was just exiting high school, um, I think I, I had a girlfriend at the time who was a year younger than me. So I think she was still in high school and she was asking me for help on a paper she was writing. And and she's like, yeah, I just, it doesn't sound great. Like right from the beginning, it, it, I don't know, there's something off about it. And she's like, can, you know, can you help me fill this in? And, and so I took a look at it. I was like, yeah, you know, kind of, it kind of jumps right to the point. And so I just added a sentence at the beginning that sort of took a big step back so that the reader could kind of get like this, this running start towards whatever the main point was. And I wrote this one sentence and she looked at it and she's like, oh my God, how did you do that? That's exactly what was missing. And I said, well, I don't know. Just when in doubt, Take a step back and let people get a little bit of a running start. So, so that, that's what I'm doing today. Uh, in fact, that's what I'm doing just now. T st stepping all the 12 years ago uh, is when this story starts, even though it's just ideas I've been having recently. Uh, but to continue on that path of, of sort of taking a step back and, and looking at this story from, from the big perspective, um, you know, I've, I've talked on this show, on, on the members only show, about my sort of. Um, introversion, uh, antisocial tendencies. Uh, and I, I, I've been told that I'm not actually antisocial. It just seems that way. Like when I'm, when I'm with a, a small group and, and whatnot, then I am very social and conversational and whatnot. Um, 
but I, I, for years and years, I've thought of myself as antisocial. For a, so for a while, as you know, social media and social networking was becoming all the rage. I would joke that you know what I would really be excited about is an antisocial network. You know, a place where you go to post everything about your life and then have it not be shared with anyone. Because, and, and this is true, like the idea of using Facebook the way it's intended to be used makes me sort of nauseous. Like I'm, I'm just not a person who has any instinct whatsoever for like sharing intimate details about myself on a social network with the idea that people will be interested in it. The irony, of course, is that I do the, a podcast and talk about uh, things like this on the members only show, expecting that you guys might be interested in it. I get the irony. We'll just move past that. So, so I, I joked about that for a little while about wanting an anti-social network until I realized, and I was like, oh, you know, someone should invent that. And then I realized that they already had, and then it was called journaling. Turns out it was invented a really long time ago. So I, I you know, I found like a, a journaling app because that's how we do things these days. Like, why would I do it on paper when I could do it on an app? So for the past, I don't know, year, year and a half, somewhere in that neighborhood, I've been just on and off journaling a little bit, um, taking sort of snapshots of like, what are you, what are you up to today? Uh, you can add a picture to it. You can add, you know, where you were and like what the weather was like. And so I've just been taking these little notes, like nothing too extensive. But I, I, I got the idea, uh, I must have been last summer probably, that I was I was riding my bike a lot, and on this trail that I enjoy going on, once you ride from inside of D.C. to about 25 miles up the trail, up into Maryland, you come to a lake, and that's essentially the end of the trail. I mean, if, you, if that's the particular trail you're on, that's more or less where it ends. And so I would just ride the 25 miles to that lake, and then uh, I got the idea. I started taking pictures of myself. And like with the surrounding, you know, with the lake and the woods and whatnot behind me, because like it was a nice place. And so this one time I thought like, oh, I'll take a picture and that'll be my journal entry. Like I rode my bike to the lake today. And, uh, you know, and if you're following, you know, feminist news and happenings recently, that can open up a whole conversation about the, how my instinct to take a selfie is probably uh, indicative of my low self-esteem and whatnot. But Again, we'll, we'll set that side, uh, aside for the moment. And so I was making this same ride on a pre pretty regular basis. And so I thought, hey, why don't I just take a, the same picture of myself with the same background over and over and over again so that if I do that enough times, you'll start to see a progression of some sort, you know. Um, some days I would be wearing a, a you know a, a short sleeve cycling jersey. Some days I'd be wearing a like a jacket and earmuffs and gloves and everything. And of course the background was ch changing. Uh, you know it, the grass was green and the trees had leaves on them at first, and then the grass turned brown and the trees you know also turned brown. And so I thought like oh that that'll be kind of cool. And and then similarly, I the building that I live in has a just a little rooftop deck that you can go up to and it's not like the greatest view ever but it's pretty okay and 
you can go up there and watch the sunset. Not like the most perfect sunset. It kind of goes behind buildings most of the time. Not not like, you know, you can't really see the horizon exactly. But, like you know, it's pretty good. Pretty good. And so I got the idea like, hey, I really enjoy watching sunsets because that's a fun thing to do. And if you don't have anything better to do when the sun is setting, you might as well go up to the roof and look at it. And as long as you're going to look at it, you might as well take a picture of it. And so I, I started taking pictures of the sunsets on a pretty regular basis, not every day, you know, and because sometimes it's cloudy and all that. But you know, I was taking pretty regular pictures of sunsets and then and put those in the journal just like, hey, and the, the app, because it's fancy, uh, lets you tag things. So I could tag them all as sunsets and then you can go through like a whole stream. You just look up sunsets and there they are. And like that's that's kind of cool. And it didn't really occur to me what it was about this that I enjoyed so much. I mean, it was so, something about the progression of it, something about being able to compare one to the other. Um, one of the, I mean, the coolest thing I like about the sunsets is if you make a point to go and watch sunsets f- over the course of a long period of time, you will actually start to notice the movement of the sun day to day and how, you know, in the summer months, it is moving towards the north as it sets. And, you know, and then after the solstice, it starts moving back towards the south. And so every day you take a picture of the sun setting, the sun is in a slightly different place. And it is just a little reminder of our place in the universe and how, you know, these much larger changes are happening that are slow and subtle, and we don't really pay much attention to. But taking pictures, one, you know, one at a time each day uh, helps sort of document that just, just in a small personal way. And so in terms of photography, like I'm definitely no expert. Every, every photograph I've taken in the last five years or so has been on like an iPhone or, or some sort of cell phone. I don't have a professional camera or anything like that. And, uh, you know, so, so quality is not like my highest concern, obviously, but you know, just I, I like to be able to sort of document the, these moments, right? And, you know, so at first, you know, you take photographs, just regular photograph. Okay, that's nice. And then when I found an app, because that's how we do things uh, today, I found an app that lets you take panoramic photos. I thought, oh, that's perfect. I, I can capture more of this moment, a, a you know, a panoramic view of the horizon, you know, to, to get more of the sunset in the picture. I thought, okay, perfect. Uh, you know, there's more of this. And then, uh, literally like one of the coolest things I have found, uh, recently at all, I found just a few months ago, of course it's an, it's an app because that's how we do things. Uh, it's, and if you haven't heard of this, like go, go look it up. Cause there's a few, there's a few apps and they're free and it's, they're like magic. Um, they let you take spheres so not photographs not panoramas spheres so imagine that you know you live inside your own head and you can look around in every direction and see everything that's around you and that's what these photos let you do they let you take a 360 degree in all directions sphere so that you know you take your phone or whatever device you're using to to capture it and then you move it around to capture all you know all of the angles surrounding you and then 
all of that data, all of those you know many many pictures that it's it's taken uh, to capture all the images around you is like sent to a to a you know computer in the sky somewhere where it stitches it all together, sends it back to your phone, and then you can use your phone like a like a little window, uh, and as you move your phone around, you can like re-experience that moment. That's that's fear of the universe that you were standing in, uh, you know, you can look around and, and see everything. And then as an added bonus, it records audio at the same time. As you are sort of capturing the world around you, it's recording the audio. So when you look at it again, you can hear whatever, whatever it was that you were hearing at the time, you can, you know, hear that again. I thought, you know, this is, this is great. Like, Every every progression of photography is capturing more and more. But as much as I enjoy all, all of that, there was still something missing. And it was really solidified for me recently, just a few weeks ago, when uh, my girlfriend and I were sitting at home, TV was on, uh, and uh, I, we, we use Apple TV. Has Oh, <laughs> it has apps because uh, that's how you do things these days. So the Apple TV has apps, you know, Netflix, Hulu, whatever. And one of them is Vimeo, which is like YouTube except uh, fancy. So uh, this is where, you know, artistic people put their videos up. And so she just like clicked on Vimeo and started looking through different things. And she just clicked on one that she thought looked good. And th- it was like, it was so good that it's a homework assignment for you. Like, you need to go check this out. It's 15 minutes long and, like, the most disgustingly beautiful thing I've seen in a really long time. Uh, the video is called Mountains in Motion, the Canadian Rockies. And what it is is not, like, 85% of it is time-lapse video. So there's a little bit of extra stuff going on. It's not really the point. Um, but the point is mostly you're watching these, uh, you know, not entirely silent, a little bit of sound effects going on, a little bit of ambient sound, um, but not, it's not like a narrative. It's time-lapse photography of the Canadian Rockies, uh, which if you don't know is, is like pretty well understood to be one of the, you know, top three most beautiful places on earth. And as I was watching these time-lapse videos, I thought, that's what I've been missing. Uh, you know, every every step along the way, every, you know, going from photos to panoramas and from panoramas to spheres, I thought the thing I've been missing is time. That's the dimension I haven't been able to capture in, in my pictures. And this was this solidified even more for me recently. Uh, I, I did an episode recently that, that had uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talking to Bill Moyers about education and science and religion and things like that. And, and I can't re- – there was more of that conversation than ended up on Best of the Left. So I don't remember which part ended up where. Uh, but part of the conversation talked about uh, – you know, Tyson was discussing how for a long time – we would see these galaxies and some of them were really nice, pretty spiral galaxies that just looked perfect. And then there were other galaxies they would find that were ugly, that were just like a train wreck, like, you know, just a disgusting mess of a galaxy, not a pretty spiral at all. And they didn't know why that was the case for a really long time. 
until someone figured out galaxies crash into each other. They feel each other's gravity. They are attracted to each other. And as they move together, their, their you know, independent gravitational effects start to mix. And then it's, you know, it's like a train crash. You know, it's just a gross, you know, mess of, of gravity and matter. So that's what makes those, those things do that. And then he described, you know, the way that they can sort of confirm that is by running the theory through a computer. And you can create two fake galaxies in a computer, give them all the elements of gravity that you would expect a galaxy to have, and then set it on a time-lapse motion where you watch, you know, a billion years go by, and you will see those galaxies spin and spiral and crash into each other. It's pretty cool. I was like, and then to like bring it home, he said, you know, two galaxies crash into each other is something that we cannot possibly experience in a lifetime as a human. But there are other things that are like that, that we could, but we don't experience anyways. And he described the movements of clouds. He said, you know, most of the time you look up in the sky and you'll see a cloud and you think there's a cloud. It's just sitting there. And then you move on with your life. But if you actually watched it for several minutes, you would see how much it moves and not just, you know, laterally across the sky. But clouds are often, you know, constantly like roiling and changing and bubbling. And they're incredibly, I don't know what, I mean, they're, they're, they're full of movement, but for some reason, we don't take the time to notice that. And and so then, of course, as soon as I heard that, I was reminded of the video about the time-lapse photography of the Canadian Rockies, which you need to go see, Mountains in Motion, the Canadian Rockies. It's free. It's on Vimeo. It's 15 minutes. And, you know, because of all the time-lapse photography, you get to see these clouds as they sort of like roll past mountains and do all sorts of crazy things. I was like, yes, exactly. That's what I've been missing, you know, if, if I could pick like one form of photography that I was going to whatever, enjoy or practice or something, that would be it. You know, taking a single picture of yourself every day for, you know, several weeks or months or whatever is nice. And, and it, it is sort of a form of timeless photography. I hadn't really thought of it in that way. Um, but that that's the element I was trying to capture, that that movement of time. So now we're getting to like close to the end of this series of thoughts I've I've had. Um another thing that is absolutely on your uh, on your homework list is uh, and I'll play a little bit of it. It's this instead of video, which I can't play here, uh, it's audio. So I can play it, but it's like 30 minutes long and I'm not going to play the whole thing cuz it's sort of cheating, I think. But if you haven't heard of a show called 99% Invisible, it's, you know, insanely good. You should go check it out. Their episodes are like 15 minutes long too. And usually like the most interesting thing I hear on a given week. And they did this episode, which inspired me to read the book that I have been reading recently, which I have referred to. I, I can't remember either here or on the main show. Uh, it's called Wild Ones. A sometimes dismaying, weirdly reassuring story about looking at people, looking at animals in America, and uh, I, you know <clears throat> that book inspired me to discuss the concept of um, 
uh, shifting baseline syndrome where you know you you accept whatever the present is as you sort of come into your awakening as a human you think all right whatever the world is like now this is normal and if it changes from here then that's probably bad uh, and you know but if you had been born 50 years earlier things would be very different I I remember now I, I referred to it uh, during the discussion about the definition of racism, you know, I was born at a time when it was widely accepted that the definition of racism had nothing to do with institutional powers and things like that. It was just, you know, bigotry based on race. Anyway, don't want to get detoured. So this episode of, of 99% Invisible is, um, it's basically it does a good job of looking at animals um, but also taking that huge step back and looking at them from a broader perspective to talk about shifting baseline syndrome and how different things were and you know how not only is the environment and the wild animals that live in it you know amazing and beautiful and majestic but also shifting and changing in interesting ways um mostly mostly what would be considered bad ways but uh anyways i'll I'll stop talking let me play a little bit of this for you just to get you hooked so that you go and find the episode yourself and um and i'll wrap up human animal interaction has become a designed experience and the story of that transition as the title of the book suggests is sometimes dismaying and also weirdly reassuring. John Muellam is friends with the band Black Prairie, and as he was writing the book, they concocted this idea of the band creating a soundtrack to the book, and the result was an extended EP called Wild Ones, a musical score for the things you might see in your head when you reflect on certain characters and incidents that you read in the book. The writer and the band then went on a short tour with the song and story extravaganza that I'm going to play for you today. When I saw them perform this live in San Francisco, I freaked out. It was so good. And I accosted them in the dressing room and said, you have to let me share this with my audience. So here it is. And here we go.
happens every summer. Small turtles called diamondback terrapins skitter out of the water around JFK Airport in New York. They start moving west. They're heading for a patch of sand where they like to lay their eggs. And they have to cross over one of the airport's runways to get there. Runway 4L. Sometimes there's so many turtles on the move at once that the control tower has to delay flights. Now the press loves doing stories about how funny this is, how a fleet of giant airplanes can be held up by just a few tiny turtles. But hold that picture in your mind and think about the Caribbean Sea in 1492. There were almost a billion sea turtles living in it back then. Columbus's men anchored in the Caribbean wrote about being kept awake at night by the thwacking of so many turtle shells against the sides of their ship. Notice how that scene is the exact opposite of the scene at JFK. It's not a fleet of giant airplanes being held up by a few tiny turtles. It's a giant fleet of turtles bombarding just a few relatively tiny ships. So I wrote this book about people and wild animals in America and it only really started because I wanted to show my daughter endangered species in the wild before they disappeared. Like a lot of people I think, I felt this pang. I knew that all around us, beautiful parts of the world are expiring. And I also knew that people in the future, they might not even notice. For them, a world without whales or wilderness might feel normal. I wanted to counteract that forgetting that's bound to take hold over time. This forgetting has a name. Scientists call it shifting baseline syndrome. It means that all of us accept the version of the world we inherit as normal. Over the years, we watch forests get logged or animals disappear, but when the next generation comes along, they accept that depleted version of nature as their normal. It's hard to zoom out really feel the changes that are stacking up across the generations. I can't even imagine what an ocean filled with a billion sea turtles must feel like. Last winter, I was in Hawaii, and I saw three sea turtles, and I flipped the f*** out. I felt like I was in Eden. Now, to be clear and to ensure that there is no confusion as to how much I enjoy that piece of audio that I just played and the 20 minutes of audio that, uh, you know, th that show continues and I think you should go listen to. So there's no confusion as to how much I enjoy that. I not only bought the book, but also bought the album of, you know, the, the band that was described as, as being part of that live uh, show. And th th that piece of audio, it's, it is by far my favorite piece of audio that I came across in, in 2013. It, um, I, I describe it with my favorite adjective of all time. I, I discovered a few years ago that I have a favorite adjective, and turns out it, it applies here, and that adjective is haunting. Uh, I, I, I realized that that was my favorite adjective based on a clip from Radiolab in which during the story being told, one of the characters of the story refers to something as haunting, and it is, and it is the perfect word that he uses at at that moment, and um, and I thought, love it. So, anyways, uh, that again, 
99% Invisible. Just Google 99% Invisible, Wild Ones Live. You can't miss it. Uh, subscribe to the show anyways. Get get all their episodes. But in the meantime, I, I, I feel this urge to bring this back to politics in some way. You know, Best of Left is a political show. I, I totally get that it's nice to sort of get away from it every once in a while. But uh, I'll, I'll give you a little insight on me that uh, – so my, my girlfriend and I met on OkCupid um, you know, through an app because that's how we do things these days. And uh, I, when you fill out like a description of yourself on, on OkCupid, one of the questions is – I don't know, something like special talents or, or like, what are you good at? Name three or five things that you're good at. And one of the things I actually wrote was that I have the uncanny ability to turn any topic or, or event or, you know, any discussion into a way of explaining why elected Republicans are assholes. So it's, it's like if I had a superpower, it, it might be the ability to turn any conversation political. So even though I don't, feel like I have to right now. I, I can, <laughs> so I will. And so, so bringing this all back around to the idea of the element of time, I feel like that is often the thing lost in, in political conversations. Not always. Uh, Martin Luther King talked about the arc of the moral universe being long, but bending towards justice. And, and that is exactly the concept that he is referring to. And, and not terribly long ago, but, you know, it's been a little while, I, I referred to something I heard from Chris Hayes, who – maybe it was in his book, actually. Um, I, anyways, Chris Hayes, either in his book or on his show, talked about, in, in a really great way, the idea of progressive activism never being done. You know, there will never be a point at which we win, and the satisfaction that we get – from fighting progressive causes can never be expected to come from the conclusion, but just from the fight itself and any incremental progress that is achieved therein, as that is the only progress that really has ever been made or can ever expect to be made. And, you know, depending on how you want to look at that, that could be a depressing thought, like there's never going to be a point at which we win, so what are we fighting for? But that's how... That's how we've gotten to where we are. It's it's always been incremental, and I sort of take that as heartening myself to you know just to think that if you keep fighting, there will be setbacks and there will be progressions, and generally speaking, we move forward. We move towards you know greater equality and so on. And uh, you know the the power of people ends up overcoming the power of money and so on. And, and I'm going to finish today with a quote that, uh, you know, so I'd been talking, you know, all the various things I've been talking to you about today. I've been passing some of those along piecemeal to my girlfriend during various conversations. So she sent me this article recently. She said, this, remi this article reminds me of what you've been talking about recently about, you know, time lapse and, uh, uh, you know, shifting baseline syndrome and whatnot. And, and then she pulls out a quote from the article, and this says, And I think America was very lucky that Abraham Lincoln was president when he was president. If he hadn't been, the course of history would be very different. But I also think that despite being the greatest president in my, in my mind in our history, it took another 150 years before African Americans had anything approaching formal equality, much less real equality. I think that doesn't diminish Lincoln's achievements, but it acknowledges that it, at the end of the day, we're part of a long-running story. 
We just try to get our paragraph right. Which I think nicely sums up basically everything I've been saying today. And unfortunately, the quote in that article comes from Barack Obama. And, you know, if you've been listening to the show, you kind of know my opinion that I'm a little disappointed in the paragraph he has been writing in his time. But, you know, the one thing that I've never been disappointed in him about is his ability to give a excellent speech that is spot on. And now if he would only actually do the things he talks about, uh, we would all be a lot better off. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained We can't see past our own sad stories And wonder why we're missing We can't see past our own sad stories And forget that's it for the bonus content. I hope you enjoyed it. And like I said at the beginning, if you would be interested in hearing more of this, you can become a member at bestofleft.com. You'll get access to all the past episodes as well as uh, any bonus content going forward. And so I just want to throw in, you know, just some examples of what you might hear if you went back into the archives of the bonus content. So you'll hear episodes like uh, how the theme song for Best of Left came to be what it is. Turns out it's sort of an interesting story. Uh, there was one episode titled The Most Vile Thing a Listener Has Ever Written to Me. Turns out that it was a person who sounded like sort of reasonable at first and then turned out to be a virulent racist. So that was sort of an interesting story that went along with that. I did sort of an in-depth analysis on another episode uh, between people who are sort of politically strategic and those who are just political pundits who just say whatever they think is the absolute truth without apologies and sort of there are benefits and drawbacks to both of those and there's an interplay between the two so that was sort of interesting uh i, I did a story of how i just dispatched completely with a climate change denying facebook troll i was pretty proud of of how that story went down i, I did sort of a jujitsu style you know use his own weight against him sort of thing and so that that turned out to be a, a good story I told a story of my experience at a London socialized hospital and obviously compared it to our American system. I did a multi-part series of daily dispatches from the climate ride that I did this past fall. So that gets a little bit of insight into how that went. It was pretty fun. I did a multi-part series on rape culture, got really deep into the so-called debate over culpability. You know, way too often people will actually accuse the victims of rape of being, you know, somewhat culpable for their attack. And so we got, you know, pretty deep in into that discussion and and sort of tapped into strategy on communication. Like there was no there's no debate over whether or not victims are at all culpable. We agreed, okay, that is not the case. And then we got into how do we communicate that strategically and effectively to to get that message across. I did an episode on talking about racism with a progressive 92-year-old Southern woman. So, you know, progressive, but 92 years old and born and raised in the South. Like, that was a conversation too interesting to even try to uh, recap. You, you just have to hear uh, the full story to appreciate that. And then, of course, uh, the, the most recent one that, that was one of my favorites I had done up to that time was holiday-themed racism. So just this past December... I did a show where there's a story about 
holiday-themed racism. Uh, you, you thought it didn't exist? Turned, you know. Well, of course, we heard all about how uh, Santa and Jesus are white in this past December, which led nicely to um, to a discussion of holiday-themed racism not in America. And in that same episode, I got, also got to tell the story of uh, how and when I found out that David Sedaris, the author, uh, is actually a fan of Best of the Left. So that, that got rolled into that episode as well. So that just sort of gives you a sense of what the bonus content is like. So if that sounds interesting to you and you want to hear more, then obviously memberships are available at bestofleft.com. And if you don't want to hear more of that, or maybe you can't afford to to help out, then no problem. I appreciate you listening. Maybe you can help out the show just by telling everyone you know about it. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks for listening. Stay awesome.